Dark waters lay before them, dark forces came behind. To the left and right, the desert brought panic to their minds. The evil of that hour was stronger than the sun that beat on them with nowhere left to run. The chariots of Egypt drew nearer child of Israel at my own red sea. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Almighty God, would you open our eyes that our spirits could be free? Would you open our ears that we could understand? Lord, have your way today. Thank you, Jesus. Make me clean before you, Lord, that the word spoken will not be of my heart, but of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The wheat and the tares began simply enough. The farmer went out and with a yoke of oxen plowed the soil. It was hard work. It wasn't being pulled by a new John Deere with air conditioning and a radio. And then he pulled the harrow behind the oxen and knocked the big clumps of dirt into smaller, finer. Slowly back and forth over that field, he drew that heavy harrow until finally the soil was fine. You could smell the loam of the soil. How many times as a child I walked behind the tractor, picking up the boulders, lugging them to the side of the field so they wouldn't cause harm. Back and forth, back and forth, and then the time to plant. And the planter would come out, the farmer, with this gunny sack type of arrangement around his shoulder and a big seed bag might put 50 pounds or more of grain in that seed bag, carrying it over his shoulder, and he would go out and he would scatter that wheat, sowing it, slowly walking in that pattern so he'd know where the grain was being sown, back and forth across that field, back and forth across that field, then chasing the birds away so they wouldn't come and take the grain watching the field, praying for just the right moisture. The field is planted. He's all finished. He can drink that cool, refreshing water. He can have his evening meal. He tells his family about the field that is planted. He's already in his mind counting how much that field will bring. 
He knows how much that wheat should produce. But there is an enemy who hates him. Perhaps they had a fight sometime. But the enemy has also been watching. And he says, there's no way that man will have a harvest out of that field. And so during the night hours, he comes with his seed bag. And he has his 50 pounds of tares, of of weed seed. And he's out there scattering the seed over the same field. And as the wheat begins to sprout and come up, the workers, they see more than wheat coming up in the field. They see tares coming up. And they quickly go to the master and they say, should we pull those tares up? And he said, no, let them grow. Because in the process of pulling up some of these tares, we may pull up some of the wheat. The concern was for what would harm the wheat. Of course, no one understood the parable. They looked at each other and said, what's Jesus trying to tell us? Many people followed Jesus not because they understood anything he was saying, but because their bellies were filled. They followed because they had miracles done. They followed because they could use Jesus to accomplish their own goals. But Jesus now begins to explain this parable in Matthew, the 13th chapter. The crowd is gone. They've gone to their homes. And the disciples are now with him, perhaps around a fire in the open countryside. And they say to Jesus in verse 36, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Matthew 13, 37, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. In other words, Jesus is the sower in the field. He's been sowing wheat all day in his teaching. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. What Jesus is now outlining for his people is the reality that we are involved in a cosmic battle. Many of you will get up tomorrow morning and you'll head off to work and you'll think this is just another day of work. I wonder if I can prosper today. I wonder what advantage I could gain in my workplace. And why do I have to go work again because I want money? Somebody ought to just give it to me. Jesus is saying it's not just another work day. When you get up in the morning and you go out into the world, you are going out into a place of warfare. A place that can kill you. A place that can rob your spirit and destroy your mind. It is war. Now listen. Verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Well... I knew when I read this that I could no longer hold on to my childhood interpretation of this parable. As a child, I was taught that this parable meant 
that I was going to grow up and I was going to do my best and I'd have some good in me and I'd have some bad in me and I was just going to have to struggle with that the rest of my life. And that nobody should talk about that or deal with that because you might pull up the good part if you pulled up the bad part. And so religion was largely a comfort for my soul while I pursued my own goals. Yes, Lord. That's the truth. You know, I, I need the health club so I can build up physically. I need the church so I can build up psychologically. It's a place where I go and learn strategies for success. It's a place where I go and I'm inspired. If the preacher can make me cry a little, he can make me laugh a little, there's a nice song and dance, and I go home and I feel good, then church was good. I'll throw in five bucks. <laughs> you know, it was a nice song and dance. Go down to the Kennedy Center, watch the opera, cry a little, laugh a little. Same song and dance. And so religion in America today is largely a psychological crutch for those self-absorbed people who are trying to find an edge in life that will give them more of the advantage they seek or who will find a place where their conscience can be salved and they can be made to feel a little bit better. Or even for some great support givers, church is a place where the lofty ideals of the human race are lifted up. Big ideas are talked about. And so we each kind of sort out and find our own little church that we want to go to that does the song and dance the way we happen to need the song and dance at that point in our life in order to accomplish the goals we have in mind. And so it's consumerism or consumption. But you know, when I was a kid, consumption was a disease. It was a terminal disease. People died of consumption. But today we all have consumption. And the church is one more place where we exercise our right of consumption. And so do whatever you have to do to have the song and dance. And that's why at this church, was it a week ago, we said, no, we're going back to basics. We're going to turn off all the mics. We're not going to do the whole deal. We're going to have a few people down here in the front and we're going to sing unto the Lord and we're going to be bare until the Holy Spirit comes and we're no longer bare. We're not going to fake it till we make it. Amen. How many seminars I've gone to where they've told me, just fake it till you make it. You'll win. Well, this is not about winning. And I've struggled with this this past week, I have to confess. This past week, I've gone to the radio, and I've listened by the hour to religious broadcasting. I haven't done that before. I wanted to know, what are people talking about? Now, there's a man by the name of Spruill that I dearly love. I always listen to him when I have an opportunity. He's always enlightening to me. He is such an incredible mind. 
and he opens, say, the Lord's Prayer, or he opens other things, and they're wonderful to listen to his exposition and his understanding of the Greek and the Hebrew. And I'm always educated when I listen to R.C. Sproul. He is the very, very, very exceptional voice on Christian broadcasting. There are R.C. Sproul and a couple of others that I found in my perusing that even spoke about the gospel of Jesus Christ with some kind of honesty. I want to tell you what I heard most of the time. Most of the time I heard, as even as this morning, I listened to a man speak and his topic was faith. And he said that faith was a power that was given to us by God. And if we could take this power into our hands, we could release our finances. We could release every dream of our heart if we would just take this power and use it to release our, our wonderful inner spirit so that we could accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish. He's basically a witchcraft, a witch doctor. It's witchcraft. It's shamanism. It's not gospel, it's shamanism. As I listened across the board to what is being fed to God's people, it was not life, it was death. And it troubled my soul. And I came back and I said, Lord, is it true? I've been preaching it, I've been believing it, I've been standing on it. Is it true? That you have a people that you are calling apart from the world. And you are saying to that people, be righteous and be holy and don't walk in darkness. And that the blood shed on Calvary's tree also has the power to break every bondage of sin in my heart. Is it true? Of course, I just went back to the scriptures and all week I've been living in these scriptures. And this parable, I want you to read again with me. Verse 40, this is Matthew 13, 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. God. And so if you walk in known sin, don't pretend that Jesus is saying to you, hey, it's okay, you're covered. Just do your best. It won't work. Jesus is saying that at the end of the age, he is going to come. And he is going to separate out everyone who does evil. Even those who claim the blood. Do you realize today how easy it is to be a Christian? But it's a profession of the mouth. It's not a life that is lived. It seems to me that the world should be able to look at me by the way I behave, the way I spend my money, the way I use my time. They should be able to look at me and say, that man is not like us. That man is a Christian. Oh my God, God. 
If the world can't look at me and see that difference, the time will come when I will be weeded out of the kingdom of heaven and I will be cast into the fire. Verse 42, they will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, men and women are going to be taken up and they are going to be brought into the judgment of hell. And they're going to be saying, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, you made a mistake. I'm in the wrong line. I believe Jesus is Savior. I'm covered by the blood. Don't put me in this weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because their profession was not matched by the way they walked. Now today, we think by simply saying it, we've done it. Yes. I pray. I say I pray. That means I pray. But I don't pray. I read the Bible. Oh yes, I read the Bible. And I think that because I've said I read the Bible, that means I read the Bible. What would happen in your life if you made a final commitment to Jesus Christ and you said, I'm not going to play with darkness anymore? I'm not going to walk in my own flesh. I'm not going to walk in the darkness of the world. I am sold out for Jesus Christ. And any issue that comes up into my life, I'm going to take and submit before the throne of God, and I'm going to wait for him to answer me. I'm not going to walk in my own wisdom. I'm not going to walk in my own power. I will no longer make decisions on my own. I will bring those and submit them to Jesus Christ, and I will wait upon him because he is my head. And what if we began to submit what we eat and what we drink, where we go and who we talk to? What if we began to submit our feelings, our emotions? What if we began to submit every part of our mind to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, would you have your way in my heart? I surrender to you. What if we really started doing that instead of just talk to talk? I don't know about you, but it's terrifying to me to have Jesus as my judge. And he's saying, as the weeds in verse 40 are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom. Do you notice it does not say, and he will weed out of the world. It says, weed out of his kingdom, weed out of his church. Everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Oh, Jesus. They will throw them into the fiery furnace and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some evil man will not care if at the end of time he is thrown into the fiery furnace. He'll say, I deserve it. Remember the two men crucified with Jesus. The man said, hey, look, leave Jesus alone. I deserve it. I'm being put to death for my crimes. 
It's the self-righteous who say, I've been a Christian. I've followed Jesus. But they haven't followed Jesus. They've done it in name. They've done it in profession. But they've not done it in action. They're the ones who are going to be weeping and saying, but wait a minute, I even paid my tithe, Jesus. Yeah, I fed the poor. I did this. I did that. I built great buildings for you, Jesus. Look what I've done for you. And he says, depart from me. I don't even know you. You see, I'm an American. And America is filled with the smartest people in the world, the wealthiest people in the world, the happiest people in the world. I mean, we're the greatest. That's what we all think. We kind of look down on those backward Europeans. We look down on other nations and say, look how illiterate they are. Why can't they be like us? If they were just as smart as we Americans are, if they would just get democracy right. I see this bumper sticker all over town. It's a flag, and underneath the flag it says, the power of pride. Have you seen it? Power of pride. I mean, obviously, anybody as smart, intelligent, educated, financially secure, anybody like we who are in America, God ought to obviously say to us, come on into heaven. You lived in America. (laughs) Not going to happen. The pride of America is going to be crushed. America will be swept away in a day. It'll be burned in a day. The prophecies in the scripture are absolutely clear. The pride of America will be cast down. We are such a mixture of bittersweet. There is the scent of heaven about our land. And there is the aroma of hell. Our arrogance, we have crushed people down. We have disregarded because of our pride and our arrogance, their thoughts and their feelings. We have become the bullies of the world. And there's a part of us that says, yeah, don't mess with us. We've got jet planes and atomic bombs and we've got the army. and Don't mess with us. If you mess with us, we'll kick you. Well, America is wonderful. I'm so glad I live in America. I wouldn't trade this land for any land in the world. God has blessed us more abundantly than any other people. Look how he has blessed America with with year after year of freedom and prosperity. But we have prostituted that prosperity. We were the nation that used to be the funding mechanism for the World Mission Service. Today, you know who's doing it? The Philippines. And now they're sending missionaries to America. There are more Christians per capita in Africa than there are in America. 
If you went to Montgomery County, one of the wealthiest counties in the Washington area, you would find that about 5% of the population regularly attends any church. They have more PhDs per capita than any other county in America. They are incredibly wealthy and incredibly arrogant. So I look at this picture and I say, Lord, how can we be saved? John. You remember the church at Laodicea? It was rich and increased in goods. But it was blind and naked and miserable. But it didn't know it. Yeah. I want to take you to a scripture. Passage of scripture. The book of Romans. I want you to see this. Romans is the treatise on justification by faith. I want to outline briefly for you the approach. Paul uses the first several chapters to deal with the law, with sin. And he brings condemnation to every sinner. And then after he brings condemnation to every sinner, he opens the door and he begins to describe justification by faith. And a faith that comes by the power of Jesus. Then he turns and walks in the concept of faith. The means by which we get a hold of this grace that is given to us freely by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then in the sixth chapter. He begins to deal with the nitty gritty of how this is walked out. And that's the chapter I want to share with you quickly. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. But what I want you to hear today is that there is a new life that we can live. We do not have to constantly be barraged and hassled and broken by our love for the world. There is a life of victory that we can live. If Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I am justified by faith, if I can trust Him for that, then can't I also trust Jesus Christ to come and break the power of that sin in my life? Do I have to continually walk in the temptation of that sin and be seduced by that thing so that I lose my power, I lose my love, I lose my peace? Do I have to constantly be broken by this sin? Is that a glory to God? And in our culture, we have all made a mutual agreement in the body of Christ that says we are saved by grace through Jesus Christ. And now, however you live is all right. You can sin. 
You're covered. You've got it made because you accepted Jesus as your Savior. We have lied to ourselves. It won't work that way. At the end of time, Jesus will come. And those who have walked that way are going to be weeping. They're going to be gnashing their teeth. They're going to be saying, but I was told, my preacher said. And Jesus is going to say, cast him into the lake of fire. He has already made his decision. He refuses to live for my kingdom. Now, I pressed you on this a moment ago, but let me come back to it. I urge you to educate yourself regarding your life. In concrete terms, not in sentimental terms. I urge you to take out your checks and to look at how you spend your money month by month. And if that money that is being spent is largely spent for butter, you understand what I mean? If it's being spent for your consumption, then you do not have a heart for the kingdom of God. You need to look very carefully in your checkbook and see what amount of money or energy am I spending for the building up of the kingdom of God. When was the last time I knew about a brother or sister who was in desperate need and I just went to the bank, pulled the cash out, put it in an envelope, and got that envelope to them without them knowing who did it. So that I wouldn't get any honor or praise, but Jesus Christ would get the honor and praise. When was the last time you lifted a brother or sister who was in desperate need, and you saw their need, and you could help them with that need, but instead you chose to go out to dinner another time? Or you chose to get that payment made on that new car or you chose to spend that on some sporting item or that new television the new computer you know you have to have one of those palm held deals you know you you can't be organized you can't survive without it you have to have it you'll be so much more productive if you have that little palm deal And, you know, I'm sorry, but I've just got to have that new cell phone. And I've got to have the cell phone that has 280 minutes of talk time. Never mind if it costs $250. i got to have it. Look at your checkbook and be honest with yourself about what you're doing with your spending for clothing. Is your heart for your new clothes or is your heart for the kingdom of heaven? Your checkbook doesn't lie. Be eager to examine those things in your life that are accurate reflections of how you're spending your time and your energy. This past week, how did you spend your extra time when you weren't working? How did you spend that time? Did you spend it vegging with the sports? Did you hunger after the newspaper and the sporting section? Did you hunger after that novel? Did you hunger after something that is of darkness and that you won't have in heaven? 
I'll tell you, there's one criteria very quickly to determine whether or not what you're doing is of the Spirit of God, and that is, will you also do that in heaven? Because if you won't be doing that in heaven, but you love to do it here, when you go to heaven, you're going to be bored after a week when it's not there. So you'd best just sign up for another place right now. Can you imagine the horror of being bored for eternity? Your last day on earth and your first day in heaven, your last day on earth and your first day in hell, you'll still be pretty much the same person. You'll still want the same things. And Jesus is just going to decide based on what you want, whether you ought to be headed to hell or heaven. You know, I can imagine in hell that there are going to be people there who are trying to make money on selling ice cubes. All they love, they worship being an entrepreneur. All they love to do is make money, baby. There are others of you who just want to spend it. You don't care about making it, you just want to spend it. Satan doesn't care how he gets us. All he cares about is that he gets us. And so I ask you today, if you carefully examine the way you use your time and your money, you look at how you use your thoughts, are you headed for heaven today? Do you have a hunger for the scriptures? Do you have a hunger for the things of heaven? Do you hunger and thirst after the holy things? Or do you have a taste for the darkness, the roadkill? And I can't explain this to you, but I'll confess. I have a hunger in my spirit for action movies. I used to always go Friday afternoons, Saturdays, by myself, maybe another guy, and we'd go to the new action flicks. And I see coming out another Murphy film. I walked by yesterday by the marquee and I said, man, I'd like to see that. And as soon as I said it, I said, Jesus, you still see that's in me. That's got to go. I was standing outside of a bank talking with a Christian brother. We'd just come out of the bank together. and He was the director of the men's ministry in a large church here in the Virginia area. I said to him, well, what are you doing this afternoon? He said, man, the same thing I do every Friday afternoon. I said, what's that? He said, I go to the movies, I get a hot dog, I'm there by myself, and I watch the action flick. Why don't you come with me, Pastor? Hey. Choices. Where are you going to spend eternity? I'll tell you what, in heaven there's not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger down here on the... It's not going to happen. He's not going to be there on that marquee. There won't be any action flicks in heaven. Now, could we just be really honest with each other, with yourself? Do you want to go to heaven? Do you really want to go? 
Are you willing to let the mighty power of Jesus come in and give you that new life? Now, we spoke about this Thursday night. Most of us are just half converted. We're halfway there. We know a little bit about the scriptures, enough to make us dangerous. We know a little bit about the plan of salvation, enough to make us dangerous. We know enough doctrine so we don't get snared in some cult. But are we half converted? Still loving in our spirit the things of darkness. And I've had to simply go before the Lord, confess my love of darkness, and say, Jesus, by the sovereign work of your grace, you're going to have to change my taste. Because there's a part of me that is simply born to love darkness. And I can't break that. You're going to have to break that by your grace, by your mercy. I submit to you, Jesus. I choose you, Jesus. I don't choose darkness. I choose light. I surrender to you, Jesus. Now watch. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I have an evil desire in my heart to go see the new action movie. I have to make a decision about whether or not I will submit to that evil desire because by the grace of Jesus, that thing has been broken in my life and I have not been snared now for many years. And I can tell you today, I will not be going. By the grace of Jesus Christ, I will not be going. And most of my friends who didn't know me well finally got the point when the Titanic movie came out. I can't tell you how many casual acquaintances came to me and said, Pastor, are you going to the Titanic? And I said, no, I'd sink if I did. I'm not going to go see it. And then this last week, the, the gathering at the radio station of the staff, as they were all gathered together in the room where I was working on the technical end, and one of them said, wow, was that new Spider-Man movie awesome. It's so clean. That's a great movie. I'm glad to see movies that Christians can go to. And later, the next day, Jan and I happened to go into Sharper Image. We were looking at their air purifiers for Jan's asthma. And while we were there, Spider-Man was on. A whole group of little boys were right in front of that screen. They were watching as Spider-Man got beat up. One of the most brutal beatings I've ever seen on any picture. And I said, is that clean? Is that what it's about? Now this is acceptable to Christians? I don't think so. What would happen today in your life if you simply made the decision 
to release all sin in your life into the hand of Jesus Christ. And you stopped fighting. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. The popular teaching of the church today is you are under grace, so you are under sin. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say you are under grace, and so you are not under sin. The bondage of sin is broken over your life. You have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary. Now, let's be honest. The truth is, some of you just flat out love your sin. You love your cigarettes. You love your money deal. You love your shopping deal. You love all those things that bring pleasure to your spirit. And you know that if you submitted them to Jesus Christ, I've showed you in the scriptures, if you showed some desire and you gave that thing into the hand of Jesus Christ, he would break it. The truth is we love our sin. And we don't want Jesus to take it from us because we don't know what we do without our love. You know, we love to posture this thing by saying, you know, pastor, I just do my best, but sin always comes and captures me. And, and all I can do is my best. Sin has never held in bondage one person who was willing to submit that sin to the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you will say, you know, Pastor, why are you talking about sin? Because that's the disease. It's killing us. And there's a remedy for it. And the remedy is the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you so fat and happy with your sin that you are not going to give Jesus Christ an opportunity to truly set you free? I tell you today, I have been deceived by my sin. It has postured as something pleasant to me. It is postured as something that will bring me relief. It is postured as something that will give me excitement in my life. It has lied to me. It is Jesus Christ who will bring freedom. It is Jesus Christ who brings excitement into life. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, here's the problem I see. Each of you is an individual American. You each have your circle of influence. You each have your... Your people you need to impress and the people who are trying to impress you. You have all of the game going in the world. 
Are you willing to give that up to follow Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ enough for you? If Jesus Christ is enough for you, you're going to stop being primarily concerned about your own life, and you're going to be pressing into Jesus and saying to this body or to the body of Christ you go to, how can I help? How can I be of service? What can I do to lift my brother's load? What can I do to help? How can I serve? Because your only heart will be to serve. Your only heart will be to lift the burden of a brother or sister and say, how can I make this path easier for you as you follow Jesus Christ? Are you willing to forget about yourself today? To get out of your cave? And I, I fear even closing this worship service because I know each of you have your little hidey cave where you go. And you've made that place comfortable for yourself. And you're in a cocoon in that place. And you're encircled there by all the things that so quickly attract your heart and your eyes. What would happen if you went home this afternoon and you cleaned out your place? And you said only things that are of Jesus can be in this place. All the books that tempt you. All the magazines that seduce you. All the things that grab a hold of you. It's time. They're out of here. Everything on the computer that seduces you, you strip it out today. What happens if you just absolutely make a decision, a choice that says, from this day forward, I will follow Jesus Christ and my heart, my money, my time, my energy, everything is going to be used to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, mighty God of heaven, would you order my steps? Would you tell me where to go and who to talk to and what to be about? Would you tell me how to live? And you begin to read the word and hunger and search after him. Are you willing to follow Jesus instead of being half converted? Some of you, I want to say to you, please don't be a Christian. Go live in the world and have a good time because this is the only heaven you're going to see. Rather than being half converted, go get the world. What a fool it would be to come to the end of time and miss heaven and miss the world too. So go get the big life in the world and forget about following Jesus. Or else get really serious about following Jesus and put the world aside and seek his face and hunger after him and be an honest servant of the cross. Let's pray. Lord, I don't want to have to lay again the foundation of repentance. There's so many other things to go on to. But, oh, Lord, we're just half converted. Lord, I ask tonight that you would finish this work in my brothers and sisters' hearts, even as I ask you to finish this work in my heart. Lord, I'm tired of the in-between place. Oh, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Lord God, would you come? Would you speak and convict? Would you break the bondage of sin in our hearts by the blood of Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to a Saturday edition of Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with Presence of His glory with great joy.